0: This is a reading from the book of Genesis, chapter two, verses 21 through 24, found on page two of the Pew Bibles. Hear these words from the book that we love. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. In 2014, Time Magazine had a cover that read like this. The Transgender Tipping Point, America's Next Civil Rights Frontier. Around that time that came out, I actually remember thinking that this was wishful thinking for progressives. I would have never predicted that I would have to preach a sermon on trans women are women and address that subject. I couldn't have imagined, as many of you, the elevation of transgenderism in our culture, but it has. It's taken off faster than we expected. Probably the most popular celebrity, the transgender celebrity, would be Caitlyn Jenner, who transitioned from male to female and now identifies as a transgender woman. There are shows like I Am Jazz, which follows a transgender teen, now adult girl, who transitioned from male to female. If you type T-R-A-N-S, as I did this week for the word transaction, you'll find out when you get to the T-R-A-N-S in your iMessage, a trans flag will pop up in your autofill. Tampax recently celebrated trans men biological, who are biological women on Twitter with this. Fact, not all women have periods. Also a fact, not all people with periods are women. Let's celebrate the diversity of all people who bleed. There's been recent controversies about transgender persons. We think about Dylan Mulvaney, who's a biological male trans woman who is part of a Bud Light promotion for Women's Month. And you can see her picture on the can. Calls for a great boycott of Bud Light. I'm going to withhold all of the jokes about Bud Light that I was going to make. Except that we now just all realize Bud Light wasn't good. So, Leah Thomas. You may have heard of Leah Thomas, who's a trans woman, biological male, who participates in female athletics, who just won first place in the NCAA First Division Women's Swimming Championship. Transgender... Of transgenderism has gone from a Time magazine cover to our politics, our classrooms, our homes, and our churches. And this is the last sermon in this series where we are comparing and contrasting God's word and our culture's values. And along the way, what we've seen is that as God's people, we need to be informed, not by our cultural hobby horses of the left and the right, but by the gospel. And here's what I want us to understand today, that our gender must be discipled in the way of Jesus. And I want to talk about culture's views of gender, and then I want to talk about the gospel's view of gender. But let me just say this. This topic is massive. Massive. It's ever-changing, it's moving fast, and so I've read, I've listened, I watched as much as I could, and I ask for your grace as we proceed forward, because I'm just a Christian and a pastor humbly approaching this topic, so I'm going to focus on my notes. I'm not going to make a lot of dad jokes, although I couldn't completely help myself already. And I also, though, won't be able to address everything. I know there's a lot of questions, like a lot of times, uh, connected to this topic of transgenderism, is the conversation around intersex, intersex persons, which is 0.0018% of the population that's born with atypical features of their sexual anatomy or sex chromosomes. I won't be able to address that today. But there's a lot of books that you can read on this and I've read a, a bunch of them and I've had influences that constructed this sermon but let me just share a few that I think will be most helpful for you if you want to write these down. The secular creed book which we've been going through and using the kind of springboard off of for this series has a chapter on it which is really helpful. That's kind of like the the smallest resource. There's a book called Embodied by Preston Sprinkle which is very good. It gives you a lot of great data. It gives you a lot of definitions and understanding of all the words that are being used. But it's written by a pastor who um, it just has a, it's just a, a better emphasis than just a lot of the other resources. And then John Tyson's sermon, who's a pastor in New York, he has a sermon from 2018 called Jesus, Gender, and the Trans Community. That's really helpful. But before we dive in real far, let me just define terms and how they're used in our culture. There's four terms that kind of are like the, in our culture are the puzzle pieces or the blocks of you as a person. So the first is your gender identity, which is primarily psychological. That's what you, it's kind of what you identify as male or female. There's your gender expression, which is outward, which you know you can dress like a male or dress like a female. That's, so you have your gender identity, your gender expression. You have your biological sex, which is your sex body. It's your your anatomy, your genitalia, that gives you uh, there's part gives you a clue about who you are. It's a block of who you are. And then there's sexual orientation, those you are sexually attracted to. So when we're talking about this, there's a lot of terms, and there's a lot of, things you might hear. And so when we talk about transgender, what we're talking about is gender identity. And so Mark Yarhouse, who does a lot of great work on this, here's his definition. He says, Transgender is an umbrella term for the many ways in which people might experience and or present and express or live out their gender identities differently from people whose sense of gender identity is congruent with their biological sex. So when we say trans woman... A trans woman is someone whose biological sex, their sex body. so, could you go back to those uh, different points, those four points? Somebody whose biological sex is male. They look at their bodies. There's certain parts of their body, which I can't go over with you today. That's for your parents and your anatomy teachers. But they feel incongruence with their gender identity, so you, a, biologi- Sorry, a trans woman is a biological male whose gender identity is female. Their gender expression is typically dressed as female, but not always. And their sexual orientation, they might be attracted to males or females. Like a biological male who looks at his anatomy, is attracted to the other men, identifies as a female, dresses a certain way, it's possible but a trans person always feels incongruence always a trans person always looks at their body and feels in their and feels in their mind a different identity than what their body tells them and i can't imagine how hard that is to live with that day in and day out i think we need to be sensitive to that that's a real challenge and a real struggle And I think it's important for us to know that to be transgender is different than to dress in drag. Drag is performative gender expression. So a transgender person might also dress drag, or they might not. Might not. A drag person might not be transgender. Not all transgender people's experiences are the same. Some people have been clinically diagnosed with gender dysphoria, which is this experience of extreme psychological distress over their incongruence. But not all trans persons have been diagnosed with gender dysphoria. And many don't feel like they need to be. So Michael Yarhouse says this, he says, if you've met one transgender person, you've met one transgender person. And that might be confusing to us, but we have to resist throwing everybody in the same bucket and acting like all their experiences are the same in the same way none of our experiences are the same, a transgender person experiences the same to another transgender person's. And we can't let our confusion allow us to be flippant towards the trans community or unloving towards trans persons. There's about 700,000 transgender persons in the world by the estimates. Now, that might not seem like a lot of big percentage, but that's a big number. 700,000. It's half of Philadelphia. So a transgender person, listen to me, is a person. They are created in the image of God, And so when we talk about the trans community and trans persons as followers of Jesus, we're called to treat everyone, trans or not, with dignity, value, and worth because they've been created in the image of God. Genesis 1 says God created male and female in his image. And when it talks about being in his image, it's talking about being his representatives on earth. And then in Genesis 2, what we have is a further elaboration of Genesis 1. So young people might call this a deep cut. Genesis 2 is the deep cut to Genesis 1. And in Genesis God—Genesis 2, what God does is he, God parades all the living creatures in front of Adam to be named by him. And so earlier in Genesis one thirty-one. it says, God saw everything he made, and behold, it was very good. But as each creature comes before Adam to be named, God comes across something not good. Verse 18 of Genesis 2, then the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. What this is pointing out is that no living creature that God created before Adam was a suitable helper for him. So God steps in. And what does God do? In verse 21, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with, the f- with flesh. And the rib that God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So although God made every creature out of the ground, this is what Genesis 2 tells us, he does something unique here. His newest creation, woman, comes from man. The word there is, is Adam, Adam's side. So I love how Matthew, what Matthew Henry does with this. He says, he says, not made out of his head to top him, not made out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but, not, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be Beloved. And when God parades his newest creature before the man, then the man said, verse 23, This at last is bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Genesis 2 reveals deep truths to us about our shared identity as male and female. We're created for God, by we're created by God for and for God and we have a shared purpose, we exist to be as representatives to the world. But it comes with two special modes of being human, male and female. And here's another important point from Genesis 2, I don't want us to get too quickly past. The body reveals the person. The body reveals the person. Adam looks with his eyes, and sees the woman is distinguishable from all the other creatures. He looks at her sexed body, and he realizes she doesn't have wings, she doesn't breathe through gills, she walks on four. She doesn't walk on four legs; she walks on two. She has skin like mine. She has hair in places like I have. We're same in nature. But he also notices there's physical distinctions between him and her. And even the original language actually reveals their sameness and their distinctions. Because up to verse 23, as I said, the Hebrew word for man is Adam, and Adam doesn't have a suitable helper for him. And then in verse 23, it switches to Ish for the word man, who has a suitable helper in Isha, woman. There's a shared Ish, sameness, but there's distinction. She's Isha. So Genesis 2:24 says this, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Males need females, females need males. There's sameness in nature, but there's two distinct modes of being human that work in harmony. So our sexed bodies, our physical bodies, are gifts from God to be embraced, to help us understand who we are and why we exist. And there's two distinct modes of how to do that. So we might ask, then, how do we define woman? All right, we talk about trans women. How do we define women? It's going to get a little philosophical for a second, all right? But the philosophers Aristotle and Aquinas, they claimed that every being has potentiality, every creature has potentiality and actuality. So, for instance, an oak tree has the potential to produce acorns, even if it doesn't produce acorns, actuality. So how does this apply to women in Genesis 2? A woman is a human being who has the natural potential to grow and sustain life or gestate life, regardless of if growing and sustaining life is actualized. See the difference? So if you decide that you don't want to have children, and you're a woman... You, who has the potential to have children, but you decide you don't want to, it doesn't make you less of a woman because you didn't have a kid. Okay? It's the potential, not the actualization, that makes us who we are. So an oak tree doesn't stop being an oak tree if there's no acorns. It has the potential to make acorns. A woman who doesn't want children or can't have children for some reason is still a woman because women have potential to gestate life, whether or not they actually have kids. So a trans woman can't be a woman because a biological man, despite any physical alterations, does not have the natural potential to grow and sustain life. And I think that we need to celebrate this in women. Like, that's a really awesome thing. Have you ever been in a delivery room where your wife is delivering a baby and you're like, oh my gosh, I could not do this. Like, I've never been more proud of my wife than when I watched her deliver a child and then watch her be able to grow and sustain that child's life. Like, my male contribution was very minimal to that. Yet women carry children for nine months and they sustain their lives from their own bodies. It's incredible. And so we, have to, we want to celebrate that. We should embrace it is what the Bible tells us to do. But culture's views of gender are two. Gender deconstructed and gender defined. Let me talk about gender deconstructed first. What gender deconstructed does, it it blurs the lines that male and female are are the same and there's no distinctions. And there's danger in doing this. For an extreme example of danger for not having distinctions would be allowing biological men who identify as women to participate in female UFC. We have a man who's... But a biological man who's been built, who has all the muscles, has all the abilities of a biological man to take have, who has physical advantages over a female to beat the snot out of a biological woman, that is dangerous. But there's less extreme examples. One of them would be Leah Thomas' swimming teammate at Penn. Had to do an interview under anonymity for fear of being ostracized for speaking up. And she says this, Leah obviously helps us, helps our team do better, but the feeling of winning doesn't feel as good anymore because it feels tainted. J.K. Rowling, the author of Harry Potter series, by no means a conservative, recently got in trouble, and culture tried to cancel her for being transphobic because she reacted to an op-ed piece that discussed people who menstruate rather than using the word women who menstruate. And in her defense online of what she said, she said that blurring the lines puts biological females in harm's way. And she talks about how she gives a lot of money for prison reform, for women prisons, and she says, if you put biological males in female prisons, it puts the females in harm's way. And in this way, they might be on the same lawn sign, but women's rights are human rights and trans women are women are in this dangerous collision course. See, when we blur the lines and we allow biological males, despite their gender identity, to enter female-designated spaces, the ones at risk of losing everything are who? Biological women. Who lose things that feminism fought for for decades, like the joy of winning an athletic competition in their division. It's gone now. It's tainted, her, Leah Thomas' teammate says. But what about a woman's, woman's right to free speech? It's being taken away. This teammate can't even go on in an interview without feeling ostracized for saying speaking up. That a lot of the teammates wrote a letter to Penn, and Penn basically was like, shut up and go away. Is that, has that been what women have been fighting for? To be told to be shut up and go away? I thought we were fighting against that. Or J.K. Rowling can't speak up without trying to be somebody trying to cancel her? Culture's hurting the very women it claims the value. God's word sees distinction as good and blurring the lines as a problem. For instance, anytime we talk, we talk about, the Bible talks about cross-dressing, it's always prohibited. Like in Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. Why? Because it blurs the lines of distinction between male and female. Paul affirms cultural aspects in worship in order to what? Distinguish males and females. He does that in 1 Corinthians 11. And God does this for our good. See, what trans ideology does is it hurts women, and I think what, who it really hurts and the most affected are adolescent girls. And please, let me just, just take a quick second. I want to distinguish between trans ideology and trans persons because not every trans person is out there as activists pushing trans ideology. Most of them just want to be, live peacefully. But in recent years, the number of gender surgeries has skyrocketed. skyrocketed. Between 2016 and 17, gender surgeries performed on females in the U.S. grew by 289% and became 70% of all gender surgeries. In the UK, they've been tracking this a little bit better and for a longer time, from between 2008 and 2018, the number of adolescent girls who sought gender treatments went up 4,400% from previous decades. To the point where the UK government's like, hey, we, we probably need to look at this. Where gender dysphoria among children teens is exceptionally rare and it's almost entirely boys. Prior to 2012, Abigail Farvale in her book, The Genesis of Gender, she's a former gender theorist who converted to Christianity, Catholicism. And she says this, prior to 2012, there's no scientific evidence of adolescent girls experiencing gender dysphoria at all. Now, I'm sure we can poke holes in that, but there's significance there. And what is happening is something that people call rapid-onset gender dysphoria, where many adolescent girls who've never showed any signs of gender dysphoria in the past or any, or any signs that they have significant affinity towards the opposite gender are now identifying as trans boys. And there's good evidence actually that most of this is actually related to body image issues like anorexia. Because to be a teenage girl, which I can't imagine, I, I can only imagine, I've never been a teenage girl. Like it's got to be an awkward transition into womanhood. You develop faster than the boys and you get, probably get looks from men that you shouldn't really be getting Because of your development, and there's all these things happening to your body that just may be different and weird, and that's really challenging. But because teenage girls start to feel awkward about their bodies, instead of encouraging girls to say, embrace these things, these are gifts from God, our culture offers permanent alterations to transition to boys. With things like puberty blockers. Think about it, puberty blockers stop you from going through puberty or some even offer mastectomies to address feelings that have been statistically proven more often than not to resolve on their own. Doesn't mean all of the feelings are gonna resolve on their own, but statistically, most do when they get to adulthood. And there aren't even mental health benefits to encouraging anyone to transition. In 2020, the American Journal of Psychiatry corrected a previous study from 2019. The previous study said, in 2019, said that there were mental health benefits, but they found out there were some issues with the data they collected, and they now say that there's no evidence of mental health benefits to transitioning. And that's a collision with another value, science is real. Often it's said, well, if we don't embrace a child's trans identity, they'll end up committing suicide. But the facts show, actually, that female to male adolescents, girls who transition to trans boys, have a higher rate of suicide attempts over any other adolescent group at about 51%. Followed by those who don't identify fully with either gender at 42%, and then followed by male to female adolescents 30%. And I don't share these things. I'm like, if you've been here long enough, you know I'm not an alarmist. I don't share these things to scare you. I share these things to just say, hey, there's something going on that needs our attention. And I don't think that it's all of a sudden, like if you read um, Strange New World by Carl Truman, he talks about this. It wasn't that like one day everyone woke up and was like, let's just embrace this. It's actually, this has been building up for years of things we've allowed. And one of the things we've allowed to continue to go on is we've allowed the crushing weight of self-definition to continue. Culture says no one is allowed, and we've even promoted this ourselves sometimes, no one is allowed to define your identity except you. And if anyone or anything, even your body, your sex body, tells you differently that you're something other than what you feel, those are oppressive burdens that need to be cast off. Bodies, people, get rid of them. I have a family member who uh, is a trans man. And I didn't plan to share this, but this I think is helpful who when he decided to identify this way, basically said, if you disagree with me, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Like no, no relationship can happen that way, guys. Cutting off people just because of disagreements, no relationships can be built on that. So we're left with this endless pursuit of defining ourselves like hamsters on a wheel, running and running and running to define ourselves until we're left exhausted, confused, and in pain. And the Bible says identity doesn't come from who you determine you are, but about, it comes from whose you are. It's not who you are, it's about whose you are. You're God's. That's your identity. you God's in Christ. But then there's gender defined. So we gender deconstructed, but gender defined. These are two views of gender in our culture. So many in our culture have gone the other way. And all times, this is where like good conservative Christians, people who have, can go to this church, be members at this church, this is what we've done. We've funneled male and female into gender roles. So that is distinction though without sameness. So we do things like, we say gender roles like women stay home with the kids, And men get to do the hard work of going to air-conditioned offices and talking to adults all day. So women stay home, men go to work. And the problem with those roles as the the things that we define gender by, that it actually comes from the Industrial Revolution. It doesn't come from the Bible. For millennia, home was a place where men and women partnered together. Think about like farming, agricultural societies. So listen, if, if the mom stays home, that can be a great thing. But let's just be honest... And, listen, and I think, if listen to me, if you're a conservative Christian here, we need to be honest that that's a personal consideration. It's not a biblical one. It's not. If your wife decides to work outside of the home, fantastic. If she wants to stay home, great. But That's a personal consideration. Many times a practical one. But it's not a biblical one. And the problem with that, it's not this... It's not the crushing weight of self-definition, but it's the flimsy foundation of stereotypes. What ends up happening with gender roles, they come from places like this, they come from stereotypes. You know, like, girls like pink, boys like blue, girls like wearing dresses, boys like wearing jeans, girls like art, boys like sports. And what stereotypes do is they make characteristics that are descriptive of most, and they make them prescriptive for all. So if in gender-defined, if your son likes art, More than football, you see there's a problem. Why? Because you've taken descriptive things, like most boys like football, and make them prescriptive things of all boys and say, you have to like football, you're not allowed to like art. And in many ways, though, do those who deconstruct gender kind of do the same thing, don't they? If your son likes art or prefers wearing pink over blue, you take descriptive things of most girls Most girls like art and pink and make them prescriptive of all girls. My son likes art and pink. He must be a girl. But the Bible holds up gender distinction, actually, without falling into stereotypes and funneling into these gender roles. Young people, do you know that the Bible has strong, influential women like Deborah the Judge or Anna the Prophet or Phoebe the Deacon? God primarily, yes, he identifies himself as male, and he personifies himself is probably a better way of saying that he personifies himself as male, father, husband, you know, a male warrior, but also he says that he personifies himself as a nursing and birthing mother, or mother bear, or mother eagle. And the gospel view of gender. I think, can be helped by 1 Corinthians 6.20. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Gender needs to be discipled. We need, it's different than gender de- deconstructed. It's different than gender defined. It's gender discipled because we need our bodies and our gender to be discipled by Jesus. First, we learn to embrace our bodies and our gender, and we, we have them our bodies and gender discipled by Jesus. And the value of our sex bodies is underlined by, by God's redemptive work in Jesus. Think about this. God created our sex bodies, male and female, with sameness and distinction. He cares so much about his gift of the body that he purchases our bodies by giving up Jesus' body on the cross and he resurrects Jesus' body so we can then glorify God in our what? Bodies. See, so many many Christians have taught, hey, the whole point is to get away from your body and go off to heaven. That's Gnosticism. That's not Christianity. You're a full person, body and soul. So that when Jesus comes back, what does Jesus do? It says, Romans 8, it says he'll redeem our bodies. What he'll do for those who died in Christ, he'll resurrect their bodies. God, with the gospel, what he does is he invites us to come to Jesus. He says, receive your identity in Christ, whose you are, not who you are, but whose you are. My son died for you. I purchased you with his blood to live out your purpose as male or female, to embrace the goodness of the body that he gave you and to have your body and gender discipled by him. See, in this way, the gospel is more body positive than culture. The body reveals the person. Our sex bodies reveal if we're male or female, and God has gifted us our bodies, and when we embrace the goodness of them, rather than seeing them as burdens to be thrown off, we embrace their goodness as gifts. If we feel our gender identity that it's incongruent with our sex body, we can look at the gift that God has given us to help us determine what we are. It's more body positive. It's also more, it gives us more clarity, the gospel does. Blurred lines, what blurred lines do is they'll make things overwhelming and it builds confusion. Right now, Culture found one website that says there's 105 genders right now and counting. The Bible gives us two modes of being human and that gives us and our children clarity. I think what culture, I really do think what they're doing is when they're expanding the number of genders, what they're trying to do is be sensitive to people's different experiences. I really think that's what they're trying to do. But the more we do that, the more confusing it becomes. I, I didn't even read the list. I just saw 105, and I was like, I'm out. I can't. It's challenging. And it's challenging for transgender people and people who deal with incongruence and people who are trying to figure out who they really are. It's, it's this extreme challenge and we need to be sensitive to that. But we also need to say, hey, look, God has created two genders, male and female. And I want you to embrace that. And I want you to be discipled by Jesus. And that's going to be better. And it's going to give you more freedom. Gender roles and stereotypes are really restrictive, aren't they? Gender roles, women only have one job and purpose in life. Babies. Stereotypes, women only look like, behave, enjoy specific things. But instead, we embrace our sex bodies as gifts that they are. We have greater freedom in being the gender God created us to be. Greater freedom than the stereotypes of what we like and we can enjoy and behave like. Like women can like sports and trucks and wear blue jeans. Sounds like a great recipe for a good country song. I tried to hold off. I really tried to hold off on the jokes, but so yeah, does it sound like yeah? Like man, women can like sports and trucks and wear blue jeans, and boys can like art and wear pink shirts and slim fit jeans or flowery shirts, and it's okay. Like maybe the stereotypes are the problems, guys. Maybe we need to stop participating in stereotypes as Christians, so we can help people embrace their genders. But the more we use the stereotypes, the more we define, and the more we deconstruct, the harder it's going to be, and it's going to be harder and more difficult for people to find their purpose because the Bible, the gospel, gives us more stronger purpose where we embrace our bodies as gifts and we say we're going to glorify God with our bodies and our gender and then we can start to see what we have to offer as male or female to the world. So where do we go from here? As I conclude, here's a few things. First, love. If a trans-identifying person opens up to you, listen. 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 Ask good questions. It's not time in that moment. That's a real hard thing for a lot of people. It's not time in that moment to go on persuasion mode. But open up a relationship with them. Actually get to know them. It's going to be harder work. Yeah, it's harder work than holding up a sign or yelling at a school board. It is. And there's times for that too, I'm sure. Because love also means sometimes we have to speak the truth in love. But Preston Sprinkle says this, and I think it's a great quote for us to just remember, just trans community or not, we can get the Bible right, but if we get love wrong, we're wrong. You hear him? Get the Bible right, but if you get love wrong, you're wrong. So we have to avoid m- mocking, making jokes about identifying as something. Like I hear people say, oh, well, I, yeah, I identify as, you know, like Whatever. Where my pronouns are, and some some ridiculous thing. Those are jokes that aren't helpful, and they're, they're actually hurtful, because you never know who's listening. You never know if somebody's struggling this way. And I also would encourage you to talk to your kids. Love your kids by talking to them. Be proactive about conversations. If you know something's coming up at school, make sure you talk to them about it. Don't let them learn from school, learn from you. Or if they strongly identify with the opposite gender, Talk to them about the gift of their body, and about gender, about the sameness and distinctions. Tell them you love them, that you embrace them. If your boy likes art or your girl likes football, embrace it. Pursue their hearts, not what you think they should look and act like. But we have responsibility to our kids there. Also, respect, so love, also respect. And this is Evan, not the Lord, okay? But if someone greets you and says, hi, my name is Tom, you would never say, no, you're not. It's not lying to use the name somebody gives you. It's called being nice. called being respectful. Sure, as you get to know a transgender person, if they say, hey, my name is Tom, and your eyes go, well, something's different here. Say, hey Tom, what's up, man? I'm Evan. You can then after you get to know them, you might be able to start having those conversations. It takes more work than signs and yelling to love and respect people. But respect a trans person like you would anyone else. And lastly, care. Commit to wrestling with someone who opens up with you to you. If somebody comes to you and they open up to you. They live in your home or they go to your school or whatever it is. Commit to walking alongside of them for life. Care for them. Love them. But I also do think that there's a time and a place to care for people by, when we advocate for our children who are hit with this on a daily basis. It's not okay that it's in Blue's News, uh, blues Clues. It's not Okay. It's not. It's OK to say, OK kids, you know we're going to have to be the bad guys here, but you can't watch Blue's Clues anymore. It's OK to say that. It's OK to go to the school boards and school meetings and, with love and respect and say, look, this being taught is not good. So We need to be OK with being the bad guys by not letting our kids watch certain things on TV or participating in certain things at school. We've got to be okay with that. And look, I know this is a tough topic. I know this has been a tough series. But what I hope for today and what I hope for the whole series is that you would understand, you'd be able to see that the gospel actually offers us better answers. It offers us better answers than culture. And it addresses things more clearly and truthfully when it comes to Gender. And culture does. So let me pray, and then we'll continue our service.